are so blessed with this worship team. This is incredible. Thank you so much. I could, I have that verse, Romans 8, 15. I have it plastered in my, in my office in just giant Greek letters, just plastered across. We did not receive a spirit of slavery again into fear, but we have received a spirit by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's awesome. And Brad, I could listen to y'all sing that all day long. I could look at that beard all day long as well. I just want to say that right now. This might be a little hot. I might come, I'm coming in hot when I preach sometimes, so I'm just letting you know. And front rows, I do spit when I talk, so I guess it's just Todd really got to worry about it. Uh, this, let me, let me, um, let me just jump right into it. So this week, as many of you know, I am also a professor, and, and I, I write really boring, well, so far it's one book I've written, so I, I write book, I could say, and, um, and I just started this week, I'm, I'm working on another project, and I just started like the most terrifying part of any research project, and that is the part where I start to actually write. It's like the way I get a project going is I get a bunch of literature I'm interested in. So I'm, I study ancient history, early Christian history, ancient Roman history, Jewish history, and I look at texts I'm interested in. I start reading those. I start, sort of develop a hypothesis as I go, something I want to look at. Then I get my hands on every piece of literature relating to that that I can. I make these giant outlines, these massive, massive outlines. I'll put this up a little higher maybe. There we go. I make these massive outlines. And then it comes time to sit down, put like fingertips and carpal tunnel to the computer and write something. And um, I, I, I months ago presented an abstract. It's called an abstract. It's like a paragraph. Here it is, here it is right here. I presented a paragraph to this sort of really cool, sort of kind of a big deal conference, okay, for, for uh, historian nerds like me. It's a cool deal. And it's two paragraphs of just beauty. I felt so good about it. It was like months ago I wrote this out. Before I did all the research, I just kind of gave a proposal, what I'd like to present. They accepted it, and it was cool. I sat down on Wednesday, on Wednesday, to start. I was in Malaga Cove Library, or as Bray calls it, Malaga Cove Library. I don't know which it is, and I don't care. And I was sitting in there, and I'm not going to lie to you. Six hours on one page. It was like I wanted to dig a hole, put a bunch of books in there, light them on fire, and jump on it, and just kind of be done with it. There, six hours. I'm not exaggerating. I walked around. I walked around six hours. I started panicking after a while. I kind of have a little deadline coming up here, and I just was dying. Why? Why was I so badly stuck? Well, one, it's like psychological when you're writing the first sentences, but it's because I had already had this beautiful two paragraphs, or paragraph, we'll call it, a gorgeous paragraph that I wrote months ago. And I love this paragraph. This is a sexy, smart, sleek paragraph. It's everything you want in a paragraph. It has it all, man. Look at that. Oh, subordinate clause. You are so beautiful. And oh my goodness, look at the way in which I put, put my argument together. It's so good, and I love it, and I whisper sweet nothings to it, and I cuddle it, and I put it under my pillow at night when I go to sleep, and I have dreams about me and it skipping through the lilies. No, I don't do all that, but I love this thing, and so what happened? Here's what happened. I wrote this months ago. I did a bunch of research, and it didn't quite line up with what I had originally proposed. The paragraph didn't fit anymore. Any writers in here? Any writers? 
Writers at all? Yeah. So, you know, you know that happens? But what's the problem? The problem is I love it, though. So I tried for six hours. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis hours to make this thing fit. And I tried everything. And finally, I had to just chuck it. I had to be like, sorry, this it's not going to work. I got to start, like, start it over. I got to write a different paragraph that fits my research. And as soon as I did that, it was like, boom, baby, we're moving. We've been in Acts. How am I going to tie this together? We've been in Acts together. For, we've been talking a lot about expectation, about being expectant, sort of standing on the, on the tip of our toes going, God, what do you have next for it? We have been talking a lot about essentially saying, Lord, what is the paragraph that you have for our church? What is our paragraph? Because we have a cool paragraph. You know, it's, it's pretty sweet, and it's been great for us for 10 years. It's been exciting. And all we're saying this series is God. Like, here's our paragraph. Be gentle. Be gentle, God. Or we have, we've been talking about our individual lives. You as a person, me as a person, us as families. And, and saying, okay, I have this paragraph. I have this thing. And it's the way I've always done things. It's the story you've had me on so far, God. It's the paragraph of where my life is at. And I like it. Me gusta. All about the Spanish today. And we've been saying, okay, God, Lord, I want to hand this over. I want to ask you, God, if you need to edit, if you need to just select all, delete, and get something new going, God, here it is. So, so we've been talking about it. And some of us, like if you're like me sometimes in your life, you take your little paragraph, you're like, oh, man, no, 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 no. I love this thing. I'm going to put it back here and just kind of keep it for a while. And God goes, okay, I'll come back around later, and I'll ask you again, hey, can I have your paragraph? So, so, so for some of you today... If you're like, oh man, I don't want to talk about my paragraph. I want to keep it nice and sweet the way it is. My life the way it is. Put it away. Fine, that's great. At the beach, they could at least watch the dolphins. You really don't have much to do here. So I guess you can just sort of sing a song in your head. But for the rest of us that want to say like, hey, God, I really want to consider, I really want to consider like, maybe you have a better paragraph. Maybe you have something you're doing to sort of hand that. We're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 9 that is such a great picture of somebody, namely Saul of Tarsus, Saul, Paul of Tarsus, who he got a full-blown new paragraph. And as we sort of track with him, we enter into the story um, with him, I want us to reflect. Again, for those of you that are wanting to sit with expectation and go, God, here's my paragraph. I wrote this sweet little line, what to expect when you're expecting. That's in your bulletin, okay? And it's also the title of like a, a children's book or a pregnancy book that will terrify you. It will terrify you. Do not read it. But we're going we're gonna to follow, um, follow his story very quickly and, and then ask a couple questions about like, okay, so what can we expect if we hand the paragraph over? If we say, God, here's my paragraph. Rewrite, baby. What are some things we can expect, at least from what we see in this text and some reflections? Okay, so with that being said, Acts chapter 9, I'm going to read you the story, and then we'll check a couple little things out. Meanwhile, Acts chapter 9, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what our movement was called initially, the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Shaul, Shaul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
He's like, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go to the city, you're going to be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard sounds, but they didn't see anything. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Completely blind. Darkness. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. Three days, blind, no food, no drink, no clue about what the heck is going on. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Lord said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come, place his hands on him, and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this dude. He's done a lot of bad things to your holy people in Jerusalem. That's my translation, by the way. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the nations, to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, and their kings, and the people of Israel as well. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on that road as you were coming here, Jesus sent me so that you may be able to be filled with the Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again when he got back up. He was baptized after taking some food. He regained his strength. He regained his strength. Of a story that's been told and retold and should be told and should be retold many more times than that. It's a beautiful story, an important story. And it's a great story also to read in conjunction with Philippians. Philippians, particularly chapter 3. Um, we'll kind of do a couple uh, snapbacks to that as we um, move through this morning. But beautiful story. And as we then ask the question, kind of return to our question, uh, if we then say, okay, Lord, here's my paragraph. I'm going I'm to set it down on your desk and I'm walking away. And I'm asking you to do something with that. When we do that, what are some things we might expect? Some things we might expect. The, I put three down. The first one I put, um, the mutiny of desire. The mutiny of desire in your life. The mutiny of desire. What, is, what does that mean um, as I wrote it? What does it mean? It means expect that your desires begin to change. Expect that your desires begin to change in ways that might even surprise you, shock you, maybe even trouble you sometimes, and definitely thrill you with a deep satisfaction, not a cheap thrill. The mutiny of desire. Uh, you know, just an illustration. This isn't like a God thing, but I, I remember being a high schooler, uh, I mean, 16 years old, this, uh, uh, a high school surfer, right? At 16, you froth at the mouth every day to get in the water. I would surf like twice a day, three times a day when it was, uh, sun went down later. I, I could not sit still for a day if I hadn't been in the water. I loved it. I remember I used to get down to the beach where, wherever I was surfing, and there'd always be the old dudes. And now I'm, I just turned a ripe old age of 36 this week, 36 years old. Yes, thank you, thank you. I've survived another year, thank you. And, um, and these guys were probably about that age, maybe a little older. The old dudes with the coffee, and their boards, they're going to surf, but they want to talk first. They're hanging out. I'd be like, I get to the beach. If I see one wave that looks even, like, moderately rideable, I'm like, I'm in. Get my wetsuit on. Let's go. No time to waste. And I'd be like, what are these dudes doing? You guys are crazy. 
Well, now, man, there is just very few things better in this world than sitting there, right, with your coffee, and you got your, like, Uggs on, you're talking to your buddies, you're just watching the waves, watching the young guns run past you going, come on, old man, move it. I love it. I've, my desires have changed. My tastes have changed. Things I used to do and think, I, I would only want to eat pizza all day long or burritos. I still kind of do eat burritos, <laughs> as Todd points out, every time we get lunch together. But, but my wife has now introduced these like salads with like kale and nuts and like every food from every part of the rainbow is just all in there. And I love it. And it's delicious. It's, you know, my taste changed. Desires changed. We see for Paul in Philippians 3, he gets this great outline of sort of the, the post, the before and after, or just it's more like a spectrum of his life, you know, moving from one point where he had desires that were strong and fervent and passionate and how they have completely mutinied on him. His desires are so different. Check this out, Philippians 3, verse 4, and I'll go through down to 11. He says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to boast or be proud of what they've done or put confidence in the flesh, all those things mean the same thing, uh, I have more reasons to boast. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, the Torah, I was a Pharisee. It's like PhD from Harvard, postdoc from Cambridge. Like I was a baller when it came to understanding the Torah. For zeal? Oh, you want to talk about zeal? People that are passionate about what they believe? I was so passionate that I was persecuting the church. I was ready to shut it down. All my other Pharisee buddies like, oh, those Christians, we don't like them. I said, no, let's do something about it then. Stop talking, let's move, let's act. That's how zealous I was. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. That list, which is kind of strange to us in our sort of modern milieu, nice word, context, that list would have been like the greatest CV or greatest resume you could ever want to submit. It's like, whoa! Saul of Tarsus is speaking today at the conference? Oh, that's going to be packed out plenary session. He's a baller. That guy's a big dog, man. But listen to verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Important verse right here. For whose sake I have lost everything. I consider them as scubala, as garbage, or dung, or trash, or poo-poo, that I might gain Christ, that I might be found in him. Oh, that's what my heart beats for. Having righteousness, not of my own, that comes from the law, but that what is, that's from Christ, faith in Christ. Righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Oh, verse 10. Paul's desires have mutinied. It's full, all-out revolution in his heart. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, the power of the resurrection, the participation in his sufferings. I want to become like him in death and somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. You can imagine Gamaliel, his tutor, back in the old days going, oh, Shaul, 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 you have lost it, my friend. He hasn't lost it. His desires have completely mutinied in his life. It's completely changed. And it's kind of a cool, this is a cool application moment right now. The cool thing about asking God to change your desires is like, it's a pretty low bar prayer. It's pretty easy. Because if you pray, God, change my desires in an area you want them changed. Change my passions in an area you want them changed. Wherever that is, 
I might not even know. I might have a suspicion. But here it is. Lord, change my desires. The cool part about that prayer is if God answers it, you won't want what you used to want anyway. So it's not like you're going to be like, man, I wish I wanted that still. I wish I, you know, I wish I still wanted it. No, you'll be so excited about whatever God has. So it's a cool prayer, but it's a powerful prayer. And it's a dangerous prayer. When you truly submit that before God, and you go, God, change my desire if that's your will. Here it is. Like, take this. It's what I want. It's what I wrote. It's how things have worked for me pretty well so far. Change it, Lord. Change my desire. And when he does that, when that desire mutinies, it's a glorious thing. I, you, you all know, we talk, I talk a lot about it because it's pretty much all I can talk about because my desires have mutinied on me. On this, Bray and I are, are uh, in the process of, of becoming uh, foster, foster parents, hoping to foster adopt some little, little babies, little amazing babies. You asked me five years ago about that. We were talking about it. We were like, yeah, one day that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that, it's just a cute little idea out there way in the future. It's way too scary. It's way too crazy, way too disruptive. Not going to happen anytime soon. You talk to me now, or if you just talk to me about anything now, I'll find a way to steer it into the conversation because my heart pulsates for it. Bray and I spend every single night, and I'm not exaggerating, unless I'm stuck writing in a dungeon of academia this week, but every other night normally, we sit by the little fire. We put the fire on, put the kids to bed. We sit down, and we just talk and pray. And we, sometimes we dream, sometimes we cry, sometimes we just, we just think about these babies. We pray for the mothers. We pray for the children. Our desires have done a full-blown, like, revolution on us. And it's so beautiful, and I wouldn't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I can't go back. That is God. It's not us. There's no way. People, well, that's really good of you. That's, you guys are good people. It's like, no, believe me. Going to Calcutta? That's a good person. That's incredible. That's unbelievable. But I guarantee you talk to Christy Pike, she'll say the same thing. I couldn't not go. Why? Because God overran her desire system. And from that point on, it's like the brakes are off, baby. We're going. That's the beauty. It's the beauty, right? It's the beauty of it. And the cool part is it starts with just a prayer. Like, God, here they are. Here they are. So this one, that, this part... Preach is pretty sweet. Like, it's, it's, it's really like, oh, that's so cool. Just pray for desires. The second little observation, what to expect when you're expecting, this one gets a little bit darker. We call it the shadow of death. The shadow of death. This isn't going to pop up on your Bible gateway verse of the day. You know, like, hey, start your day off. The darkness of God. Whoa. Not going to be there. But I think it's important that we also look at this. We look at this. I want us to join Saul in this moment of transformation, in this moment, this journey of, in this case, for, for Saul, it was sort of like he had the paragraph, he loved the paragraph, the paragraph was working for he and his, and he's cruising, God's like, give me that paragraph, boom, we're doing something different, like, sit, chill, wait, I'll get back to you. Let's read this, Acts 9, 79. <clears throat> The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He could see nothing for three days. He didn't eat or drink. All right, if you want to, you don't have to. But if you want to with me real quickly, I just want to invite you, just close your eyes for a second. Just close them. 
Now imagine you could not open those up. Imagine you opened them up and that's exactly what you saw. Darkness. Like someone closed the ceiling of light in your life. The bottom drops out. You're falling and it's not going to change. You can open if you want or you can keep them closed while I say a couple more little things. But just for a second, let's join Saul here. It's dark. God, I have done nothing but be passionate for your name, O God of Jacob. I was, I, I sacrificed so much in my education. I sacrificed so much. Do you think I liked persecuting these people? Do you think I, I did it for you, God? Do you think I wanted to be running all around Eastern Mediterranean trying to stop these people? Do you think I wanted, God, I can't see God. Now, we don't know. You can open your eyes anytime you want. We don't know or we know how it ends. We know exactly the time frame. We know what's happening. But your Saul of Tarsus, this is happening in real time for you. You went not just theologically to a complete moment of disillusionment. I don't know what's up from down anymore. Everything I thought I was doing right is completely wrong. But now you are enshrouded in darkness. You're blind. You're vulnerable. You're scared. And you are You're just there. Okay, so in this moment, I can imagine Saul maybe asking, like, God, could you have done this to me? Where was this 10 years ago, 15 years ago, before I spent all this time in my life? And I can hear God, and this is just me conjecturing from the broader theology of the scriptures. I can, I, you can hear God whispering to him, Saul, do you trust me? Okay, I want to see God. Do you trust me? Give me, give me, throw me a bone here, man. What's going to happen? Is it going to be okay? Do you trust me? Will I ever be able to forgive myself for what I did? Do you trust me? Darkness. There's this great line. C.S. Lewis is Lion Witch in the Wardrobe. And Susan's talking to Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. I'll do an English accent here. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. Oh, man, if that doesn't say it all. My brothers and sisters... God is not safe. If by safe we mean he is in the business of protecting and massaging and keeping nice and fluffy our little paragraph and organizing his whole life around our little tantrums and, oh, you crawl, come here, come here. here's a Pop-Tart. Here's a Pop-Tart. Yum, 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 yum. It's okay. I'm sorry. God was just busy. Like, if that's our vision of God, and sometimes, we, you know, we, we think that, like, this, we've got to look at these moments. Or go up to Mount Moriah with Abraham and the ferocity of what he was asked to do. He knew that God called him to sacrifice his son. He didn't know what we all knew, that it would be stopped. And against all reason, against all even theology in his life at the time, he finally responded and said, God, with a reckless abandon, I give myself over to you. Join Abraham in that place. St. John of the Cross, a 16th century 
Carmelite monk. Amazing, amazing. Talk to Lynn Woodruff all about this unbelievable person, Teresa of Avila, and this great group of these Carmelite monks that mentored thousands of, of, um, of monks over their time. And he noticed the pattern in the lives of each and every one of these monks. It seemed to happen. They would first sort of get on board with the Jesus movement. They'd be so excited. Every worship moment, every moment of prayer, every fasting was like a revelation. You might have been there, right? Maybe you're there right now where like sermons like, that was the greatest sermon, and that worship song was incredible, and that sunset, oh God, you painted the sky for me. And it's just all pulsating with joy and consolation. And it's a good moment. It's a good time. St. John of the Cross called it the breast, the nursing phase. You can call it the bottle, so we don't have to say breast in a sermon too many times. The bottle is just yum, 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 yum. It's so good. God's just giving pleasure. He's giving consolation. He's showing you his goodness. But something would happen with these monks. Eventually, they'd hit a point where that next sermon didn't really do it for them anymore. That Bible study is not really you know, getting the hair on the back of the head standing up anymore. The worship's not doing it. And they weren't jumping into some weird sins that were, like, derailing their life. No, they were even more trying to fast, harder trying to prayer, on their knees longer, praying, memorizing scripture, anything to get that bottle back. I want it. I need it. I need to taste it, God. And he noticed there's this season. He called it the dark night of the soul, where God removes his pleasure in the relationship. He removes it. And it's not punishment. And it's not an evil, and it's not even due to our sin, but it's a phase of God's hand in our discipleship where he says, we're, we're growing up. You're going to feel the darkness. You're not going to get the titillation you once got. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And through this dark night, through this dark night, you go from a, a, an affection for God to a knowledge of God. And I see, like, so maybe in an expedited fashion here, Saul of Tarsus, blind in the darkness, the shadow of death. And it's in that place that God is sometimes doing his greatest work. Uh, my, my last, this last week, I've actually been spending a lot of time with um, uh, one of our incredible people at this church. Man, I just love, I love him so much and respect him so much, who's right now in the dark night of the soul. Right there. And there is, you know, you always want to, as, as a young pastor, I always want to keep, end everything on an upswing. Like, hey, it was a great meeting. God's doing something great. And it's just been so beautiful to be able to sit, such an honor to sit with him. As he knows, I know God, this isn't depression. This isn't something else like that. This is truly, he knows God has just removed his pleasure and he's dragging him in the weeds of sanctification. And he's saying, do you trust me? And to watch this man just hold on and say, God, I'm here. Where, it's like in John 6 when Peter uh, is asked by Jesus, will you then leave us too? And P what does Peter answer? Where will I go, Jesus? Where else can I go? You have the words of life. And that's sort of the place this gentleman's in where he's sitting going, I, I know I could probably jump out of this and go give some, find some pleasure somewhere else, but there is nowhere else that is true and right and good. Is God safe? Oh, no. He's not safe. He's good. He's good. So the question, I guess, in this piece, just to kind of throw out for all of us and for me, is, uh, is there an area of your life where the Holy Spirit of the living God has blinded you? He's brought blindness. He's brought darkness. And you're scrambling around for a lighter or for a lamp. Turn the light on, and he's like, nope, we're keeping that off. 
No, God, come on, turn it on. Nope, keep it off. Can I have a nightlight? Just something, God. It's so dark. Is there a place in your life where he is asking you, do you trust me, and will you sit, and will you rely, and will you, with patience, ferocious patience, let me do work where I have to do work. You are in surgery in an area of your life, and you want to jump off the table and duct tape it up and take some Vicodin and, and feel better. And he's like, no, 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 no. We're, getting, we're going deep here. Is there a place? Where is that place? Maybe asking God. And maybe the application isn't an action. It's an, a lack of action. It's a, a releasing and saying, okay, Lord, here I am. I don't know what you're doing, but Spirit, I know you're doing it. Last piece quick piece because I've already preached an entire sermon on it like two months ago, but it's momentum. What to expect when you're expecting God to take your paragraph and shred it and do something beautifully different. Momentum. Um, Acts 9, 19 to 22, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus after he receives his sight. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man that raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful, baffled the Jewish leaders living in, the, in Damascus by proving Jesus was the Messiah. The momentum in his life. We notice the momentum in his life. It wasn't like stopping a merry-go-round. Right? Remember merry-go-rounds in the 80s? Anyone remember those things? Like, geez, just instruments of centri centrifugal death, right? Or centripetal death. I don't know which one, which one it is. And you just jump on, and like there's no brakes, and it just goes super fast, and kids are flying off and breaking limbs, and it's just beautiful and wonderful. Well, now, like, I love, I love taking my kids on the merry-go-rounds, but they're all safe now. Like the one in... South Park in Hermosa. Anyone go to that park, South Park in Hermosa? That, yeah, you try to get that thing going, right? Like, you just, I got like three dads on the case. We're trying to get it going. It just stays at a certain But whenever I'm there, I, I really like, I love to just, just ferociously push this thing. And I do this thing with the kids. And it always ends up being like all the kids in the park with delinquent dads are just coming on. No, I'm kidding. The, Half the time, I let other dads do it. Uh, jumping on board, can I jump on? I'm like, sure, sign this waiver, kid. Don't sue me if you get hurt. They jump on, and we start going. I do this thing where I'm going around and around and around and around. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And all of a sudden, I, I stop it. I, I go, let's, let's break and go the other direction. Right? I sort of think like that about Paul. Like, it's, it's the stop the momentum, slow it down, slow it down. Okay, we're at a stop. Now let's slowly see if we can get this thing going in the other direction. Right? And instead, what we see, as I mentioned a few months ago, what we see is God doesn't stop it, slow it down, stop it, slowly restart it in the other direction. Instead, God just slingshots the momentum as fast and as furious and as like, passionately as he was running in one direction. God takes it and boom, takes that momentum and, and slingshots it in a completely different direction. If you listen to this. I mean, well, the reason I read Acts 9, right, is he's, he didn't wait for some good seminary training and then to go and make sure he was approved by, like, the Jerusalem church and then make sure he had letters of recommendation and he felt like he had gone through 101, 102, 103 church classes. He was immediately out there preaching this Jesus to people and you couldn't stop him. He's a passionate man. Uh, Romans 9, uh, the last thing I want to quote, just to give an illustration of, he was as, like, wild-eyed as a follower of Jesus as he was 
as a Pharisee. He was just wild-eyed and passionate and frothing at the, at the mouth with like zeal to bring God's truth. Rom- Romans 9, listen to what he says. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sonship. Theirs the divine glory. Theirs the covenants. Theirs the receiving of the law. Temple worship promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. With them is traced the ancestry of the Messiah who is God over all forever praised. Amen. Like, this guy is, is seriously, it looks like he's got a spiritual screw loose, but it's just his zeal for loving others and bringing this truth, just like he was zealous to persecute the church. Now he's saying, look, if I have to be cut off from Christ for the sake of letting them know Christ, I'm willing to do it. Knowing, of course, nothing can separate him from the love of Christ. He just said that like a verse ago. But the idea is Saul of Tarsus, Paul of Tarsus, as passionate as he was in the wrong direction, he now is in the right direction. So as we uh, sort of wrap up and we'll conclude with some worship and some, some communion, um, when we think about those questions, like, like where is a place, maybe a desire, you want to just go, God, here, here it is. Change my passion, change my desire. I want to encourage you as you're taking um, the bread and, and, and the, the juice to, to maybe, maybe think about that. Maybe offer that prayer up. And for some of you, and you know who you are, I don't. Maybe no one does. You are sitting in the dark night of the soul. You're there. Maybe you've been there for a while. Maybe you're scared because you're just getting into it. Maybe you're just leaving it. The gorgeous thing about community is it reminds us when Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cries that out on the cross with his body being bro- broken for us. Right? He understands the darkness that comes sometimes with the, with the fallen of God. But it's a good of goodness. So, and finally, Momentum. I think, as Todd was saying, I'm telling you, church, like, River Church, this is what we've been up to. Uncrumple it. I'll pretend like this is it. This is what we've been up to. This is what we've been doing. We want to say, as a staff, as a body, as a community, God, what have you to say about this? Here you go, God. And that's a scary, beautiful prayer and the the only kind of prayer we could pray if we're going to live out the vision God has for us. So it's kind of a cool time we're living in right now. Dangerous times, baby! Beautiful times. So I'm going to pray, invite the worship team up. Lord, we thank you. We are no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of God. And we thank you that as a father, Lord, you, you will walk us in our discipleship. You will walk us in our development through the beauty and through the darkness. And oftentimes, Lord God, we don't know what's happening and why. And you ask us, do you trust me? And Lord, I want to say, yes, God, I trust you. We're ready. Lead us. And let us support one another, God, as we all are on this journey together and individually at different stages. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship. You guys stand and sing with us.